0: Hi, everyone. I'm Marie biancuzo I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Today, we're pretty much sticking right in the breastfeeding world, and I have with me my guest, Tori Gawilliam. Tori, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Let me tell all of you just a little bit about Tori. She is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a certified lactation counselor who works with low-income families to reduce food insecurity and improve health outcomes. Tori is also the breastfeeding coordinator and a public health nutrition with Fairfax County uh, here in Virginia, where I live, for the Women, Infants, and Children, that is WIC, Supplemental Nutrition Program. She has eight years of experience working in public health and specializing in maternal and infant nutrition. Tori earned her Bachelor of Science degree in human nutrition, foods, and exercise from, guess where, Virginia Tech, where so many of the people (laughs) in Virginia have graduated from. Now, for our, uh, our international guests, you might not know what WIC is. WIC is, as I said a minute ago, the women... Infants and Children's Program, and it is a supplemental nutrition program. It was started, oh wow, I don't know, but I think maybe in the 60s or so. It is federally funded, but it is state administered. And my experience is that, uh, how should I say, some of what I see from state to state and from county to county and sometimes even from office to office differs a little bit. And again, that's because even though they it's it's federal dollars, it is administered by the state. So my sort of flaky understanding is that how those dollars are used is a little different. So with whatever Tory is talking with us about today, if your WIC office doesn't like exactly work that way, that's okay. That's probably uh, intentional. Tori, am I, am I right on this
1: stuff? Yes, I, I'm referencing a lot of the Virginia WIC policies and procedures. There is some overlap because it is a national program, but there are definitely going to be differences state to state and locality to locality.
0: So full disclosure here, although I have taken care of WIC participants when I've been a hospital nurse, I have never been paid by WIC. I don't, I've never worked at WIC, so I don't really understand all of the ins and outs to it. But of course, that's why I brought Tori on today, because I want to make sure that people really understand it. So Tori, uh, tell us a little bit about this. Who exactly is eligible for WIC benefits? How does that work?
1: Yes. So WICS serves pregnant moms, also postpartum moms, after the delivery of their infant. Um, This also includes the postpartum moms after a miscarriage or stillbirth as well. Um, And then they also serve infants and children up to the age of five. Um, It does not have to be the uh, mother who applies for benefits for a child, A father, or if they have another legal guardian, they can also apply for benefits for a child up to the age of five. In Virginia, foster children up to the age of five are eligible for WIC. Then the um, applicant would have to meet residential eligibility. The um, applicant must reside in in the state in which they apply for benefits. But they don't have to be living there for any certain duration of time. It's just their current residence. Um, they then have to meet income guidelines. And the income guidelines are set by the USDA every year. And that is 185% of the poverty line. Um, they may be automatically eligible, though, if they receive other programs like Medicaid, Medicaid. SNAP, TANF, or free and reduced lunches for other children within their household. Um, But the eligibility guidelines for those other programs also differ from WIC. So just because they may have been denied services for those other programs, they can still apply for WIC um, because there are differences.
0: Tori, one of the things that just amazes me is that some people that It seemed to me like they're eligible for WIC, actually don't apply. They don't participate. Uh, Can you help us out here with why does that happen? And is there anything that the rest of us can do to help those people?
1: Yeah, so that is true. Um, The most recent data published from the USDA was in 2016, which... Um, identified that there was 13.9 million people who were eligible for WIC, but only 7.6 people participated. So that's, they call call that the coverage rate. And so the 2016 coverage rate was 54.5%. This does vary significantly, again, state to state, um, consistently, Infants have the highest coverage rate, followed by women and then children at the lowest coverage rate. And then the coverage rate for non-breastfeeding moms is higher than the coverage rate for breastfeeding moms, which is also very interesting. Um, So some of the reasons for that, there's a really great um, paper published from the Food and Research Action Committee that identifies some of the reason moms or families may not participate in the WIC program, even though they are likely eligible. Um, The first thing is not understanding that they may be eligible. So, particularly for low-wage working families who um, may not realize that they meet those income guidelines. Um, Also, families with Children, they may not realize that the program serves children up to the age of five. Also, immigrant families may not realize that they're eligible um, because WIC is a safe place regardless of citizenship status or if a family is undocumented. Um, So they may not realize that. There's definitely accessibility concerns. So... The availability of transportation, whether that's personal transportation or public transportation, and then what cost is associated with the transportation. Um, The location of the WIC office and the appointment times that are offered can impact the distance that they travel and how much time it takes to attend appointments. Children, children are required to come to certain appointments, which can add an extra layer of um, coordination. Then there's some appointments that the children don't have to be at uh, where a family may not have childcare and again, have that barrier of having to bring children with them or other children in the household. So a family with multiple kids having to kind of group everyone up and go to appointments can just uh, be more challenging. Um, In the report, some people reported poor customer service, which could include longer wait times, um, limited appointment availability, um, and even, like, just busy clinics and busy waiting rooms. Um, Some people aren't happy with the food package provided. Um, The food package is aimed to give specific types of foods from different food groups and then healthful options. So it is limited by the brands and the choices that are allowed, specifically the type of milk, whether it's whole milk, which is only for um, children age one to two. And then all of the other um, groups older than the age of two would receive low fat milk. Um, Or another example is the grains that is provided is just whole grain option. So they may be dissatisfied with their choices. Um, And then also families may have difficulties and poor customer service experience when they redeem the benefits at a store. And that could impact their choice to participate.
0: Wow. Wow. I mean, some of those things I've seen or heard or had some sort of peripheral exposure to, especially the transportation thing, because I worked in a large medical center that was uh, inner city. And, you know, I got so I thought I knew the city bus schedule as well as I knew my own name. It was just that was that's a major barrier. Tori, along the same lines, do you think that there are some myths? Because I also bumped into that. Uh, over and above what you mentioned, for example, um, that they uh, they didn't understand about if they would need a blood test or how that would work, and uh, do you hear that?
1: Or can you address that? Yeah. So, um, part of the enrollment process is a nutritional assessment, and. A healthcare professional here in Virginia, we have dietitians and also paraprofessional staff do these nutritional assessments. And so part of that assessment does entail um, obtaining height and weight measurements and a finger stick to do a hemoglobin check. We do have the option for families to have that done with their healthcare provider and bring the document with that data for their appointment. Um, If they do feel uncomfortable in our clinic setting or with our staff, um, that is an option. But yes, as part of the nutrition assessment, there is um, a a hemoglobin check. So Tori, here's where I'm a little lost is that It seems
0: to me that they think that they've got to pass that test or that if they have better nutrition than they will or won't or, oh, jeez, I don't know. I'm not even sure I can articulate the stories I've heard, but what is this hemoglobin test? I guess maybe my question is, does the hemoglobin test really determine whether or not they can get benefits?
1: No, they just have to agree to either have that test done by us or to provide the data for that uh, health marker to us. But it's just that they're agreeing for us to evaluate that data um, as part of the nutritional assessment. What the result of the hemoglobin test is has no indication on their eligibility Thank you. The uh, diet, yeah, the, the, the dietitian or other health uh, professional conducting the nutrition assessment is going to identify a nutritional risk for each participant as far as as part of the certification. And um, that may be a result of their uh, hemoglobin results but it could also be a like they're not they're not meeting the dietary recommendations as set by the USDA so it, it there's so many um different nutritional risks that could be assigned but really Hardly anyone is exactly meeting the nutrition guidelines as set by the USDA. So as long as the family has um, agreed to the nutritional assessment, which includes the hemoglobin uh, check, then um, they're going to uh, be eligible. Okay, thank you for
0: clarifying that because I always kind of made some connection that somehow they were, they were thinking that they had to, quote, pass the test. And mm-hmm. they, I was thinking, no, I don't think so. But, you know, I never really followed up on it. Another one is that some mothers will – now, Tori, take it easy here. Keep your hair on. <laughs> I have heard, I want to get my wick. And by that, you know, it took me a while to realize what, what parents were saying. They were saying, I want to get my formula at WIC. Is this something that is just something I've bumped into? Or is this a common misconception that WIC is just there to provide formula? Give me a little reality check here, please.
1: Yeah, a lot of people do make the assumption that uh, WIC is there to provide formula, which is why they may not understand that themselves as women may qualify or that older children may qualify because they don't understand the food benefit that families receive from the program Um, they also don't understand the breastfeeding support and promotion that WIC does so we are in support of of helping moms feed their infant in the in the choice that they make and the and the most healthful choice for for their family and for their child so uh, we do a lot of breastfeeding promotion and support. And so it isn't just a formula-based program. Um, yes. we, we have many, many other resources.
0: I know that. And my colleagues know that. And you know that. But But that sometimes does not get entirely translated to mothers. And that brings me to another great question, which is, I know this this varies from year to year, probably by the, tomorrow morning at 8 a.m., something will be outdated. I'm sure it probably varies a little bit from state to state, but can you describe to us some of the differences between the packages that are offered to breastfeeding
1: mothers versus non-breastfeeding mothers? Yes, definitely. So a non-breastfeeding mom will receive a food package for six months postpartum That includes milk and milk alternatives, juice, breakfast cereal, eggs, fruits and vegetables, and legumes, which are beans or peanut butter. A fully breastfeeding mom gets a much larger package and can receive a food package until that infant turns 12 months old. Um, It has additional milk and cheese, additional juice, additional eggs, additional legumes, it also has the addition of a whole grain item and canned fish. And the amount for the breakfast cereal and the fruits and the vegetable remains the same. Okay. Um, in addition to the mom's food package being larger, the infant of a, a fully breastfed infant's food package is also larger. So at six months old, infants begin receiving complimentary foods from WIC. A non breastfeeding infant will get infant cereal and infant fruits and vegetables at six months old. A fully breastfeeding infant will receive the same amount of infant cereal plus double the amount of infant fruits and vegetables and the addition of infant meats on their food package.
0: Interesting. So, Tori, I don't know if we have any formal research on this, but at least from an experiential standpoint, would you say that those better packages actually motivate moms to breastfeed?
1: Yes, I think peop I think moms definitely make that consideration we We educate moms prenatally on the differences in these food packages, and then after the baby is born, we remind moms of the food package amounts and they do consider that difference when making the decision on um if they plan to breastfeed. And then if they um, decide to supplement formula, um, they do weigh those options in determining how they feed their infant.
0: Okay. So from your perspective, there seems to be at least a little bit of a motivator for most mothers. Is that a fair statement? Yes. Yes. Okay. And could you put, I know you're only in Virginia, you're not all over the country, but could you put some dollar figures on about how much food does that amount to in a month?
1: Uh, I unfortunately don't have that data. Um, There... our, like our area here, food cost is higher than some many other areas in the U.S. Right. So they may have an average food cost, but I, I don't know that on the top of my head. Um, and I'd have to look a little deeper for that.
0: Yeah. And I know that having been a nurse for many years, I don't know how many, how much a, a pill costs, you know, stuff like that. It's like, no, I'm on the front lines taking care of the patient. Uh, <laughs> You know, this money stuff, I don't really know this. And heaven forbid that somebody asked me a question about insurance because I don't understand that either. So the, the big thing that I want to talk about here as related to the differences in benefits and resources, I get this a lot about pumps, And I'm very sure that this differs at least from state to state and county to county and maybe even office to office can you enlighten us a little bit in a general way about the kinds of pump benefits that the, the WIC families would or would not receive and for what reason? Yeah. So
1: as you said, the breast pump resources do vary with each locality. Uh, we first assist moms with, receiving a breast pump with their health insurances, whether that's a private insurance or Medicaid. So we try to help moms with that in their third trimester of pregnancy, but that can also usually be obtained in the early postpartum period as well. The procedures with each health insurance varies. So um, moms should call their health insurance company to find those instructions If a mom doesn't have health insurance coverage or cannot obtain a breast pump via their insurance for any reason, they should definitely talk to their local WIC clinic to get assistance. In Virginia, we have three types of breast pumps. We have manual pumps. We have multi-user breast pumps that are given out for temporary loans. And we have personal use electric pumps. There are different requirements for issuing those different types of pumps. And there's also priority groups set because there's a finite supply. There's limited supplies. Um, So we do have some restrictions in place, um, but they are there, they are available. And our with staff council's each individual to determine if a breast pump is appropriate and then which type of breast pump is appropriate for that mom.
0: And my guess would be, as with anything in the government, that you have some very
1: clear guidelines about who gets what and when and how. Yes, there are definitely those guidelines. Um, there is also some, uh, like with the priorities. That, that can vary a lot. So um, even though the guidelines may have three to five reasons why a mom may need a pump issued, well, if there's limited pumps and there's not enough to go around, well, maybe just one or two reasons would allow um, for a pump issuance. So it, it, again, varies so much with each location on the supply that's available and um, how the locality goes about determining the need.
0: Okay. Uh, we know that nowadays there's always a lot of focus on pumps, but, you know, I'm kind of an old nurse. I always want to go back to how about we put the baby on the breast? So and, – and science shows us that there is absolutely no pump that will work as well as the baby. So talk to us a little bit about how the breastfeeding mother gets help from the WIC office. Uh, like like give us a visual on well not a visual, but <laughs> you know, show us how this really works in real life. If I'm the WIC client, and I walk into your office and I tell you that I'm having trouble with breastfeeding, which, by the way, pretty much my experience is that about 10 days after birth, um, things start going downhill. And if they're lucky, they're, they go to the WIC office where they do get help. So if I'm your client, how does this look? What kind of help am I going to get? Walk us through that.
1: Yeah, so we have a breastfeeding peer counselor program, which our breastfeeding peer counselors are working with moms day in and day out. Um, They provide mother-to-mother support. So they have their own personal experience breastfeeding. They come from similar backgrounds as the WIC population that's served. And they're available in... um, in locations and hours outside of the clinic. So they're like, they're, they're, there they're, they're a great resource, great person to talk to. Um, WIC also has professional lactation staff as well. So when there is a more high risk situation, um, a infant isn't gaining weight appropriately, there's a milk transfer, concern. That's just one of many examples. But when there's a more high-risk situation, then WIC has professional staff to help address those high-risk situations. And if WIC doesn't have that staff available, they are um, in close contact with um, available IBCLCs who can provide that necessary resource. All WIC staff, though, receive continuing education in breastfeeding. As I said, the program is there to promote and support breastfeeding. So all WIC staff, whether it is the check-in person or the dietitian or the peer counselor, they are all receiving breastfeeding education. So definitely definitely reach out to WIC for any any breastfeeding concerns.
0: Yes, you know, I was just thinking as you were talking, I I have given education to the professional staff in several different states, and I'm astonished sometimes at the different levels of what they're asking for. Some want something that is seemingly pretty basic, although let me tell you, skipping over the basics is not a good idea, so I'm always happy to give the basic uh, education, but other times I've done much more high-level education with, as you say, the the baby or the family has very complex situations, and uh, certainly that continuing education is hugely important. In the few minutes that we have left, Tori, could you talk a little bit about the impact of WIC? As I can remember back, well, further than I want to admit, but <laughs> I'm thinking that the Loving Cam- loving Support campaign was initiated, I think, in 1989, and since then, I have looked at those statistics, and I've been pretty blown away by the the amount of. And, and WIC takes criticism for oh, they hand out formula. Well, they do, but when you look at how the the breastfeeding rates have increased at WIC, uh, I'm pretty impressed. But can you talk about that, please? In in a general or a specific way, I don't care. But what what impact? how would you characterize the impact of WIC on on breastfeeding outcomes?
1: Yeah, definitely. So there is very strong research that um, there's increased initiation rates for breastfeeding amongst WIC participants. Um, And there's a lot of research for the breastfeeding peer counseling program specifically and how having that peer, that mom-to-mom support, really helps the initiation of breastfeeding and the prolonged duration of breastfeeding. So a lot of that, that loving support training that you referenced is a specific training curriculum for the breastfeeding peer counselors and um, has definitely, since it's launched, has made a big impact in breastfeeding rates.
0: That's so great to hear. Because I know they've worked really hard. And honestly, it's a population who doesn't always come in beating a path to your door saying that they want to breastfeed. So you've really got to do a lot of helping them to get through uh, some of their misconceptions.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, misconceptions, just cultural differences. Uh, just even within their family, their family support, family's uh, opinion on breastfeeding. There's a lot of a lot of reasons why a woman chooses to feed their infant in a certain way, and navigating that and providing that education. And being the, the the support system is really what the focus of that breastfeeding peer counselor program is because if they don't have family and friends support, then they're less likely to breastfeed, and hopefully we can help fill those gaps.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm I'm thinking how it's I'm thinking how it is not that they're unwilling, but rather that they need to have a different perspective and probably more support. And to my mind, WIC has done a remarkable job with that. So before we go out today, give us just a quick thumbnail glance. How has COVID impacted
1: breastfeeding, WIC, etc.? Well, there has definitely been a strong impact this year on everyone, but the WIC program included in our local agency, we've had an 11% increase in participation since this time last year. So there was a substantial jump in March of 2020 when COVID really hit the U.S. um, and then a steady incline from April 2020 until now. The USDA issued waivers to help serve participants safely. So it is in effect for the duration of the public health emergency. It allows participants to be approved for WIC benefits without being physically present. And it allows staff to issue benefits remotely for all participants. So it takes away a lot of that face-to-face contact currently in order to... um, in order for participants and staff both to remain safe. Yes, Uh, I've
0: struggled with that. And I'm also guessing that some of your clients don't necessarily have a computer at home like you and I do. And that also complicates things. Wow, this has been so informative, insightful. And I even think that I know a little bit about it. But you have certainly enlightened me, and I'm sure for many of our listeners here in the United States. And of course, <laughs> I often get international uh, attendees at my live lactation prep courses. And anytime that WIT comes up, somebody raises their hand, says, what's WIC? (laughs) So then, you know, we Americans all have to stop for a minute and talk about what WIC is. And that would probably be a good time for me to tell you that if you are looking for a 90-hour lactation course to meet your requirements to sit for the IBLCE exam, my live course, I'm sorry to tell you, has been canceled for this year. We put it off as long as we could because we thought that it would all work out and it just all hasn't. But anyway, my 90-hour lactation course is online, and you are welcome to go to mariebiancuso.com. That's M-A-R-I-E-B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O B-I-A-N-C-U-Z-Z-O.com. Sorry, but it's the only name I've got, so I have to spell it. We are here to help. We are here to help people like Tori and her staff, but also anyone who is hospital-based, private practice, whatever is on your mind. Uh, we can certainly do that. So, anyway, been a great to talk with Tori Gawilliam today. Tori, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Alrighty, and for those of you who are wondering, breastfeeding is easy. Women have done it for thousands of years, and you can too. But at least from now until next week, just remember one thing: your baby.